0: This podcast is a co-production of Slate and the Appeal, a new publication about the justice system. And it's a companion to my new book, also called Charged, and available wherever you buy books. Okay, thanks for listening. Here's the show.
1: Tell me a little bit more about your milkshake experience.
2: (laughs) So the the milkshake was good. It was like an orange cream one. So I like the flavor. Okay, I'm starting in a
0: kind of weird place today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about putting together this show. To do a podcast like this one, you do lots and lots of interviews. You start out looking for people with stories to tell, like Terari or Eric Gonzalez. Once you've got your story, then you have to find another type of person, someone who's outside the story and who can explain the things you don't quite get about it. That second type of person is an expert. If the people your story is about get to be complicated and messy, your expert isn't those things. They're the voice of calm authority. You don't dig into who they are deep down. For this podcast, our expert has been Kadeem Gibbs. He's shown up in nearly every episode of this series because he's familiar with all sides of the stories in gun court. Kadeem works with kids in Brooklyn. He's affiliated with the Children's Defense Fund, and he was in a recent documentary about Rikers. But he was also locked up five times when he was a teenager. He was in a gang, and he sold drugs. He had a gun, and more.
2: I was shot when I was a kid, and I had a gun on me when I was shot. You know what I mean? It's like it didn't make me bulletproof. It's like, I still got shot.
0: Last July, we were in the early phase of figuring out just how to tell the story of how easily the system can drag you back in, when our producer, Viralyn, got a text. July 26, I'm on the train, and um,
3: I get a text saying, Hi, I'm Safia Kadim's fiancé. He
0: is incarcerated on a parole violation. Viralyn and I were both about to go away on summer trips, but we felt an immediate sense of catastrophe. Our show's main expert was in jail, busted for who knew what. As soon as she could, Viralyn jumped on the phone with Sophia. We knew Kadim had been on parole for nearly five years, but now Viralyn found out he was really almost done. Like, as
4: of today, today was his last day on parole. Wow. So, you know, he Here's what up.
0: happened. A few weeks earlier, Kadim showed up for his last scheduled appointment with his parole officer. He got the impression that for all intents and purposes, he was done with supervision. He had an invitation to facilitate workshops at a Children's Defense Fund conference in Tennessee. So he flew to Knoxville. Then, while he was away, his parole officer showed up at the house he and Sophia shared. And she
4: had just so happened to come while he was away. And boom. Oh. There you go, back, home,
0: back in prison. A warrant had been issued for Kadim's arrest, not for committing a crime, for violating the conditions of his parole. Kadim had turned himself in. Now he was sitting in a holding cell in Brooklyn. The New York Parole Department had scheduled a hearing for three weeks out.
4: What we're hoping for is that he goes to the hearing, they give him a few options, one of the options being served.
0: Best case scenario, Kadim would be locked up for three long weeks. And there was also a worse case. If
4: not, they're trying to give him uh, six to 14 months.
0: Are you kidding me? We're taking an unplanned detour in this episode. I'm Emily Bazelon, and this is Charged, a true punishment story. Today, outside New York's gun court. On the day Sophia texted us, everyone on the show started scrambling. I called a lawyer I knew through my reporting, Scott Heckinger of Brooklyn Defender Services. He knew all about Kadeem.
1: He was kind of a central name. He He was a person who was not only formerly impacted, but currently impacted because he was on parole, but brave enough to actually speak out about it. So I'd heard the name, and then you called me and you mentioned his name and that he was in trouble.
0: Scott's office is right near Central Booking. Also known as Brooklyn House, the same place where Terrari spent the night a couple years earlier.
1: Fortunately, that afternoon didn't have any cases; didn't have to go back to court. Picked up uh, the legal pad and headed over there.
0: Guards took Scott to a place where he could see Kadeem.
1: So we went into a room very tight. We're both relatively big dudes. He's he's quite he's quite large, and so we're kind of stuffed into this room, very close to each other, with a small circular metal table in between us. And so, you know, we, I first asked him, you know, tell me, tell me what happened.
0: Kadim told Scott about the last five years of his life.
1: He talked about, you know, who he was in five years, absent a blip at the very beginning of probation. He'd been gainfully employed, and not just employed anywhere, had been doing trainings on reducing violence, had not had a single negative home visit.
0: Given all that, Kadim asked Scott what he could do. And Scott wanted to help.
1: Ordinarily, when I get calls that someone's been arrested, it's for a crime. And there's a lot of things you can do in that interim. You can get down to criminal court and you can get in front of a judge and argue for release.
0: But this was parole. The normal rules of criminal procedure
1: don't apply. By the point that I knew that he had already been arrested by parole, I knew he hadn't gotten a hearing because there's no due process.
0: No due process, even though a person's freedom is at stake.
1: When it comes to parole, parole cases, they're not criminal cases, even though massive criminal penalties could attach.
0: Wait, that's such a weird idea. So you mean that, what do you mean? (laughs) What
1: what I mean is that the constitutional rules surrounding what applies to criminal defendants uh, do not apply in the context of parole hearings because it isn't considered a criminal proceeding.
0: Scott remembers the moment in that little room when Kadim realized that not only was his fate out of his own hands, it was out of Scott's hands too.
1: He wasn't, you know, there was no cursing. There was no, oh, my God. There was no putting his head down. There was a, wow. It was like kind of a realization that this is really serious.
0: The next day, Kadim was loaded on a bus to Rikers. He started trying to call Sofia once he got there. And she agreed to patch me in as soon as she could. But it's often not easy to reach people in jail. The call kept dropping. Every
4: time the Nicole- call... The call drive
0: that takes away the time. We're paying for each
4: call. Each call is like a dollar. Oh God. Um, so if each call is a dollar, and he calls seven times, and he still has to buy food because you know we're vegetarian. Right. They're not accommodating his diet. He still needs to buy underwear. He still needs like this so
0: much. The whole thing was a mess, and it was putting Sophia in a tight spot.
4: I'm I was getting flustered, but it's because it's like I know this is so important, but. If he misses the calls, then we don't get to talk about other things. Right. And it just
0: kept missing each call, and it just was stressing me out. Finally, after six dropped calls, as the tense minutes ticked past, I got through. You doing all right? Thank you for using. Secure us. Goodbye. The caller has hung up. Thank you
4: for using.
0: Secure The next day, Sophia got through on her own, and she talked to Kadim. He was... Scared that nobody was going to come. A few weeks later, she told me why he was so scared. He
3: was like, yo, what if I get hurt? Like, I'm not trying to fight anybody. What if somebody cuts me? If somebody cuts me, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to be able to do this kind of work. Because you never see anybody who's been to prison with cuts on their face in the limelight.
0: i had never thought about it that way before. But Sophia and Kadim talked about it a lot in those early days at Rikers. How the dangers of jail could affect not just his present, but his future. The people Kadim needed to impress, and maybe that includes us too, wanted him to have the cred of an ex-criminal, but not the face of one.
3: Think about it. They want you to be sanitized. They want you to look like your neighbor, which makes sense because it humanizes the issue, but then it also, again, segregates the population of people that have gone through this experience. And we well, don't talk about that either, but it's true. So he and I have talked about it a few times. I'm like, yo, you you have these opportunities because not only are you articulate, you have good teeth. You don't have gel teeth. And that's something that people don't think about. But if I smile at you and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Kanim has a great smile. So it's like, you know, it's hard to, to have that conversation with him and be like, okay, well, protect yourself. I can't help him. Like, there's nothing I can say to make that moment have any ease other than, like, oh, I love you. You'll be fine.
0: When I finally got a semi-decent phone connection to Kadim, he was eager to explain why he'd gone to Tennessee. The event he'd gone to for the Children's Defense Fund, he'd been attending it for years. It took place on this huge farm in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. It was this kind of legendary place that actually once belonged to the author of Roots. Over the years, Kadim had gotten close to the organizers of the conference, and he got a lot out of going. A few weeks before Kadim went to the farm, he saw his parole officer for what he thought was the last time.
2: I saw her in June, and she basically told me good luck, and I wasn't going
5: to see her again.
0: The night after he got there, he was surprised to see his phone light up with his parole officer's number.
5: So I didn't, I didn't answer at that particular time, just because, like, I was, you know, talking with my co-facilitators at a conference just about, you know, the week ahead.
0: It was the next morning when the parole officer came to the apartment Kadim and Sophia shared at 5 a.m. while Sophia was sleeping.
5: So the next morning, she was banging on the door, like banging the door down on the side. And so that's when uh, Safi called me.
0: Kadeem understood his parole could be revoked for traveling outside the state.
5: I knew I was technically wrong, but it's like, you know, for what I was going for, for what I was doing, it's like, really, like, y'all like y'all gonna be that to the T, to the letter? Like, it, it, it almost makes you feel like the whole thing is, like, like automated.
0: Kadim called his parole officer back.
2: I figured she was gonna already violate me, so it made no sense to, like, act like I'm even trying to dug her and dodge her. I was already frustrated.
0: She didn't pick up, so he left a message. And then he went to lunch with a group that included Marion Wright Edelman the longtime head of the Children's Defense Fund.
2: She's the first black woman admitted to the bar. She was Martin Luther King's lawyer. Like, if, like if they had smartphones, then, like, there would be screenshots of them mm-hmm. texting each other. Like, that's, they, was, they was close like that.
0: They were at a cafe near Knoxville.
2: We were at um, Golden Girls at the cafe. I was eating fish and chips, I remember. <laughs> um, we were sitting there, talking, um, was eating. And my phone rang, and um, I pick up. My parole officer uh, called me. I said, um, "Oh, I got to take this call. I'm gonna step outside." She's like, "Well, I just called to tell you you have a warrant."
0: Meaning the warrant for Kadim's arrest.
2: I got back inside. I was obviously like my energy was different. Like I was upset. I had a great week, so like to end the week like that was like like I
5: always got to deal with these people.
0: When Kadim talked to Sevilla, she urged him to come straight home. Maybe his parole officer would still look the other way. But Kadim was feeling defiant. In my reporting, I've seen a lot of people get caught in the punishment machine and feel like it was just inevitable. They think, so what's new, and what could you ever do about it? Kadeem had felt this way himself earlier in his life. But now, it was like he'd crossed over to some other side, where people feel empowered to fight back. Kadim explained to everyone at the table that when he flew back to New York, he'd be arrested for coming to this conference. And Marion Wright Edelman, along with other people, fired up her cell phone and sounded the alarm.
2: So when I left, I had like a whole um, like packet of only support letters, dozens and dozens and dozens of people from all over the country. People who, um, who heard me speak, who were in um, classes that I facilitated or... Just my colleagues in the work or, like, just so many people. Like, I didn't even know, like, I had that much support, honestly. Like, it, it really was overwhelming.
0: The flight home was strange.
2: I was, you know, in the airport and on the plane with people who were coming from vacation or going to see family or, you know, traveling for, for work or for business or whatever, you know what I mean? And in the back of my mind the whole time, like, I'm on this plane because I, when I wake up on Monday, I'm going to jail.
0: Once he'd left his friends and mentors at the conference, the old feelings crept back in.
2: I just felt like no matter what I did, I was just, like, destined or cursed to be in jail or be in prison. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I felt like it just was like that was my destiny.
0: Kadeem got back on a Sunday. He and Sophia spent the day together. They went grocery shopping cooked dinner. Tried to make it feel normal. But then Monday morning came. And Kadeem had his date with Brooklyn House.
5: — And then I, when I came home, I changed my clothes and something I didn't care about. Just a pair of, like, gray sweatpants. And I got, got the paperwork that I needed. And then the Safia um, drove me to parole. And I just went and turned myself in.
0: If you've been enjoying this podcast, I want to let you know that it wouldn't have been possible without Slate's membership program, Slate+. Plus. The support from members has helped fund exciting projects at Slate, like Slow Burn and Standoff and the daily journalism you see on Slate.com every day. If you want to help Slate continue this kind of work, please sign up for Slate Plus now at Slate.com slash charged. It's only $35 for the first year, and you'll get benefits like ad-free podcast feeds and discounted tickets to Slate's live events. And you'll get even more episodes of Charged. Sign up at slate.com slash charged. In the days after Kadim turned himself in, people with weight and pull tried to help him. Scott the lawyer tried. So did the Children's Defense Fund and the producers of the Rikers film. They all work behind the scenes, doing their best to bring pressure to bear. But in the world of parole, making a case that someone has been detained for no good reason, frankly, it didn't matter. There would effectively be only one question at Kadim's upcoming hearing had he violated the terms of his parole. The answer to that was, well, yes. The circumstances were irrelevant, legally speaking. And even with all the people behind Kadim, the hearing itself was a black box outside public view.
1: It doesn't take place in some vaunted courtroom. it's It takes place in a in a in a room on Riker's windowless. Um, very unofficial feeling.
0: And really, this wasn't even about kadim's particular case, or even his particular parole officer.
1: Parole officers are extraordinarily overworked. They have like 100 clients, you know, for each one of them. Um, they could easily, you know, be, you know, in trouble or be demoted if anything goes wrong. And they have very little tools to really, um, to address failures to follow Um, the rules of parole. So under the law, there's very little discretion to do anything else when there is a violation. They can ignore it or incarceration. All they have at their disposal is the one punishment. There isn't anything in between. It didn't always used to be that way, you know. Parole officers used to be not law enforcement agents, but really trained in social work. And the idea was it was supposed to be an alternative to incarceration, and now it's become an additional punishment.
0: Meanwhile, Sophia was trying to see Kadim at Rikers and bring him clothes. It took her a couple of hours to get there. She had never been to Rikers before and she didn't know what to expect.
3: So I like waited online for God knows how long, took off my earrings, took out my nose ring, took out the, I had like all these gold beads in my hair, took all of that out, got to the window and they said, go home. It wasn't the right day. Like I didn't know that you had to go by the letter of your name. Wednesday is A through G, right? You have to go on the day that correlates with your last name. I was like, can I drop his package off? They were like, no. I'm like, ugh. The system is designed in the way it's supposed to. It's supposed to deter you, it's supposed to keep you from wanting to visit. Inside
0: Rikers, Kadim was overwhelmed with deja vu.
5: I was in uh, C76, and I'd been in that building before when I was an adolescent. So, like, everything was still the same. Like, um, Seventy beds inside of the dome, um, and then in the bathroom there's like these long sinks with four belts that they look like mini tubs and then it smelled like horrible, like like festering dead rodents all day.
0: On the first day, an officer took Kadim and some of the other men to the gym where tables and crates were set up
5: with books. One of them was uh Angela Davis's If They Come in the Morning, which is like a collection of literary work. Um, around the prison system, like James Bowen and other like, uh, you know, freedom fighters of the '70s. Then I, I got um the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass and Time and History between the world and me. So I was just reading a lot. I wanted to like, I really wanted to write, but I couldn't really wrap my my mind around writing the way I wanted to.
0: Kadeem couldn't help but notice that a lot of the men around him seemed really old. And he was struck by other similarities, too.
5: Everybody here was basically a parole violator. And all of these dudes, like, they all, like, most of them were, like, dope sick were like, detoxing or, like, had severe mental health issues. Like, like, what could any of them possibly have done to really be, you know, a threat to anybody in society?
0: With each day of the past, the cost of being locked up increased. First of all, there was the price of Kadim's vegetarian meals and for using the phone at Riker's. Since Kadim got there, New York City has stopped charging people for calling their loved ones from jail. But nationwide, the prison phone business remains a $1.2 billion industry. And then there are all those unpredictable costs. What if Kadim got into an argument and it escalated and they hit him with another charge? Who knew how long he could be locked up? Sophia also worried about opportunities Kadim was missing.
4: He got a job offer working to do a mentorship program with. Uh, one of the returning citizens programs, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get the job because it's way past the interview day.
0: Which cascaded into more problems.
4: Now What is he supposed to do for money? Like, I'm, I'm, like I know that that's not everything, no, but that but... is a big deal. I do have a full-time job, but I'm a full-time student. I have to go to Rikers and bring him clothes. I'll have to put more money on the phone. Like, the money that I would have spent in our house, I still have to whether or not he's here. So that puts like an unnecessary amount of tension and stress even in our home because it's like, I'm stressed about money now, but we usually don't have money problems. And now we are arguing. It's like it, it brings too much extra for something so ugh, ridiculous, really.
0: They were fighting a lot more now. Questions bounced around in Sophia's mind from back when Kadim was in Tennessee, like the decision he made to stay when his parole officer called him. Did he really need to do that? Couldn't he have avoided jail by just coming home then? I was like, I can't believe you. Like, was that smart?
3: Actually, the first thing I said to him was, come back. Come back now. I'll pay for you to come back. Come back now because you can just call her and you're home. As long as you're home by curfew, she can't prove that you were in Tennessee. I was upset that he didn't
0: come back. Because you felt like there was this moment he had to fix it. I think that that's the difference
3: between he and I. In that way, I will just fix whatever is broken.
0: Jail deepened a divide that already existed between Kadeem and Sophia. Kadim still felt the effects of growing up in a chaotic home in Harlem.
2: My household was like a living hell almost. Like, it definitely put me in a space to feel like, um, well, nothing is ever going to be better.
0: Sophia's upbringing in Queens was entirely different. My
3: family is very, very in touch with their culture. And we're from the Caribbean. My, like my immediate family is Rastafarian, super hardcore. Like, they have the accent, they have the look. Both of my parents have dreadlocks, and
0: before it was cool. Sophia's parents were strivers. They worked hard, bought a house in Queens. Then they started buying other properties and renting them out. Like, my parents are middle
3: class, so there hasn't been something that I couldn't get that I that I wanted. Like, I have no student loans. You know, like, people talk about how this, like, overwhelming burden of debt. I don't mm-hmm. have that. Like, I'm, like, extremely privileged in that way, and I understand that. And I, like, value that, but for Kadeem to come into a space like that is very hard. That's a big gap. It's a huge gap. And sometimes, you know, he will resent me for it. Right. You know, like, even just being able to talk to my mom. Like, my mom will call me when I'm getting ready for work sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk from the moment I wake up till I get to my job. And he
0: doesn't have a great relationship with his mom. Safiya and Kadeem met online and they fell for each other fast. We
3: went on this first date and it never ended. My mom was like, what are you doing?
0: What Safiya and Kadeem were doing was moving in together right away to our mom's total dismay. She was having a heart attack.
3: Like, it was really, it was hard.
0: But Sophia felt clear-eyed about what she was doing.
3: Kadim is not the first person that I've dated that has been incarcerated. Like, I'm a black woman from a low-income community, so I'm not a stranger to, you know, being around people who have had contact with the justice system. So no, it didn't bother me. I knew he was on parole, and it was just like, listen, I'm prepared for whatever, you know, like, We say we're going to do this, then we're doing this. So if they're going to come to the house at 5 o'clock in the morning and bang on the window, guess we are getting up.
0: Sophia and Kadim lived in a building that her parents owned. She decorated the apartment.
3: And our house is really colorful and like we have like my favorite color is red. So we have like reds and browns and like African masks and books everywhere.
0: They got engaged after living together for a year and a half. They both worked full time and Sophia was going to school for a master's degree. The rules of Kadim's parole structured their life together. They rotated through a cast of parole officers. I feel like every month is a different person. person. It's not even like a a relationship with someone that you can build, it's just like a person. Are you kidding? No, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Tell me. Am I kidding? Apparently, I'm kidding.
3: No, (laughs) they don't care. They're not supposed to. These parole officers are the same women who would be in his face if they were in the club. It's the They're young black women, young Hispanic women who got city jobs. That's what this is. So they're the same people. They are just like me. They're just like him. We're from the same neighborhoods. But they're like jacking they, him up. They're The only reason why they're jacking him up is because they have an othering mentality. And I'm telling you, they're the same girls in the club. People are not that
0: removed from their employment and their regular life. The parole officers had power over Kadim and Sophia's relationship.
3: It's funny because the parole officer can tell you you can't live with her. They can say, Oh Really? Yeah. They can be like, Oh, y'all had an argument, you can't live there anymore and go to a shelter. You can't parole there anymore. Like so I had to be very quiet. I would say I'm more quiet when they're around. I don't really say anything except for hello. But they'd come to our home and be like, wow, this is really nice. Like one of the women came and was like, I like your floors. We have like these tile floors that look like wood, but they're like really like fancy floors.
0: And then they would like that or then they would resent that?
3: I feel like sometimes they sometimes they were like nicer to us, but some would see it and be like, Oh, and like resented that.
0: Parole didn't just affect your home life. It followed you everywhere else, too. Kadim had 23 separate conditions to comply with, which is above the national average. Here's Scott reading some of them from Kadim's charging documents.
1: I will not consume alcoholic beverages. I will not frequent any establishment where alcohol is sold or served as its main business. You get this by now, I
0: know, but I'll say it anyway. These are not crimes. Staying out late, traveling, going to a bar. The rest of us do these things all the time, without thinking twice. And there's a growing body of evidence that imposing a lot of conditions on parole doesn't help people make the transition from prison to the outside world. Quite the opposite. The evidence also shows that keeping people under supervision for years doesn't make the public safer. Nationwide, each year, at least 168,000 people in America get locked up for a technical parole violation. On average, they stay in jail for at least 90 days, and some stays are far longer. This past April, Eric Gonzalez, the DA in Brooklyn, announced a new general rule for his office. From now on, prosecutors would seek the minimum possible time on parole, instead of the maximum, which they'd been doing. There's also a bill now in New York to seriously overhaul the whole parole system— But it hasn't passed yet. And so New York continues to lock up more people for technical violations of parole than almost any other state. On any given day, 30% of the people in prison in New York are there solely for parole violations. days after Kadeem was shipped off to Rikers, my phone rang. It was Sophia. So Scott called,
4: and he said he looked online, and he saw that Kadeem was released today. Hmm. Wow. Now, he said that that may or may not be true, because, like, sometimes sometimes things happen in the computer system there. So I don't know if that's real. I don't want to, like, get my hopes all the way
0: up. I guess you'll have to see. I mean, you have his phone, so there's no way for him to reach you. Until he gets home, right? I
4: yeah, mean, and Brights Island is really far from our house. So right now, I'm like, you, you ever get like nervous and have like the butterflies in your back?
0: Yeah, yeah. I
4: have that. I have the butterflies in my stomach and my back.
0: Kadeem did make it home that night, and that was huge. But he didn't understand why, and neither did I. Trying to figure it out revealed just how random and unknowable the whole parole system is. Here's Scott.
1: It turned out that the state parole board in Albany didn't realize that he had actually been arrested for a local violation and ended parole on the date that it was supposed to end, July 27th. So and,
0: wait, can we stop yeah, there? I'm sorry. Was, so like look, they just the didn't fr- get the message?
1: It was the first time, maybe it was one of the first times that bad bureaucracy actually worked in a client's favor, like ever.
0: Right after Kadim got out, I called him. Scott said that Parole Central didn't know you'd been arrested by a parole Local. So did,
5: Albany didn't even know I was in custody. So, so what, that sounds like this this was the bogus one. So how did yeah, you find I wanna, out? I, I don't. I, I'm you telling me this now? I didn't oh. even know. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I was just reading yeah, Scott's I, I,
5: email.
0: Kadeem was in jail for eight days on a technicality, and he got out on a technicality. It was all so arbitrary, just like that. The long tail of punishment yanked him in. And then, just like that, it let him go. I tried to ask the New York Parole Department about Kadim's case. They wouldn't let his parole officer talk to me. In fact, they weren't excited about anyone talking. Is it okay if I record this call since it's for a podcast?
1: No, no, it is not. If you want to email me your question, I'd be happy to take it that way.
0: So I sent that email. I asked why Kadim was released. I'm just going to read you what they wrote back to me. Quote, Mr. Gibbs was discharged due to his maximum expiration date occurring close to the date of the warrant issuance. And so there was insufficient time to complete the violation hearing process and have the subject declared delinquent by the board of parole. Honestly, I have no idea what that sentence means. But maybe the point is that Kadim was so close to finishing his five years of parole that it didn't make any sense to send him to Rikers, which I don't know. Seems like something they could have figured out before they snatched him up and put him there. I wish I could leave Kadim there. Out of the system, finally. Cooking with Sophia in their cozy red apartment with the fancy floor tiles. But I can't.
2: When I came back from the island, well, when I got home, all my stuff was packed. So, like, it was weird because, like, the whole time, um, like, she was
0: there. But while Kadeem was at Rikers and Sophia had his phone, she discovered messages coming through from other women. Yeah. It happens. We're young. She'd stood by him anyway.
3: My dad always says to me that your family is your household. You have to make sure that your family is good first. Kadeem is my family And even when family does stupid things or they don't think about repercussions or actions, they're still your family. How was seeing him again? Challenging. Yeah. Challenging. We just, challenging. Mm -hmm. We had a little issues.
2: So for me, like, I was, you know, kind of hopeful that, like, we could work on things when I got out. And then, like, I stayed there for a few weeks. Like, we, you know, kind of tried to communicate and work on things, and it just, like, got worse.
0: Kadim moved out, went to Atlanta for a while. He hoped Sophia would forgive him and that he could come back to her. But Sophia didn't want to be in touch. She blocked him on social media and on her phone. Kadim kept trying to reach her. Then, in the winter, he came back to New York for work.
2: I went on all these interviews, and in between, I said, "You know, I'm gonna be in Brooklyn. Let me go try to stop by and, you know, at least talk to her." I took um, some flowers and some wine.
4: He came with wine and flowers. I guess to try to make up, mm-hmm. but I'm not interested in making
2: it up. Yeah, she didn't want to talk to me. I saw her. She like she came to the door, but she didn't open it.
4: He knocked on my side door. My windows,
2: because I wasn't letting him in. And then, um, I don't even really remember what happened. I know, like, I got, like, super upset. I don't know, I just was enraged. Like, I just knew that, like, I was going to talk to her. And then, like, when it didn't happen, I just, like, lost it.
0: Kadim pounded on the door and kicked it, harder and harder, until he actually broke the frame and got inside.
4: I have a thing about calling the police. I don't want to have to do that to anybody.
0: But she did call. The police came and arrested Kadim.
2: I was just like, yo, this, this can't be real right now. Like, this, like I'm, you know, I was thinking as, just as I was starting to get on the right track again, like, I'm fucking my life up again.
0: Sophia was afraid to stay in her apartment. She moved out and got a restraining order. So if she was here right now, what would you say?
2: Um, I would tell her that I'm terribly sorry. Um, and that, like, things weren't supposed to turn out the way that they did. And at no point were my actions a reflection of how I feel about her. And I was just processing my own demons, I guess. I think, like, Oftentimes, over the course of my life, I find myself in, like, these dark spaces where, like, I feel, like, just depressed or hopeless or just evil. And I start to feel like that because at times when, like, things are not going right or I'm really trying hard to make things go right but I'm not yielding those results, I try to do things to to fill those voids.
0: Kadim asked me to pass along his apology to Sophia. He couldn't talk to her himself because of the restraining order. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I asked her if she wanted to hear the tape.
3: No, thanks. I'm, like, completely at peace,
0: so... Okay. Maybe this is wrong, too. In fact, it probably is. But I confess that when I called Sophia, part of me was hoping for a different ending. A breach healed. The long tail of punishment, tamed and coiled. But that's not how Sophia saw it, even if she didn't regret helping Kadim.
3: I'm not naive to the fact that he needed help. And especially at a time where it was for somebody that I loved, you know, you help people, period. And
4: I know that like, the system is designed to make it so that men like Kadim have the life that he's had.
0: Relationships end. People walk away, scars and all. Sometimes that's the best thing or at least it's necessary. When I talked to Sophia recently, she said she was in a new relationship, and it felt healthy. She had a new job she liked. She's also looking ahead. She'd like to go to law school soon. Kadim agreed to a five-year extension of Sophia's restraining order to resolve the misdemeanor charges he faced for damaging her apartment. He also has a new relationship and a new job, running two youth programs for a nonprofit group. For the first time, he's living in his own apartment, and he's taking courses about restorative practices at a place called the Institute for Transformative Mentoring. Kadim prefers this image of himself, moving forward and succeeding. Who wouldn't? That's the way experts are supposed to be. It's also what we want from people who have transgressed, metamorphosis, not a caterpillar in the midst of transformation, completion, a full-fledged butterfly.
2: Like, people don't see, like, the current struggles and issues and traumas and, like, people don't see that. Like, you're supposed to just be whole and have it all figured out and, like, like, there's times I had to be on live television and I didn't have a place to sleep the night before that. Like, nobody, like, nobody don't care about that. They want, they want the story.
0: Everyone wants a story, including us, we really struggled over this one. Where to sand down the rough edges and where to leave it raw. Because beneath the surface, there's a tension in all of this about who deserves mercy, who gets another chance, and how many chances. There's this invisible line that we don't often talk about that separates who's redeemable and who isn't, who we need to watch, and who gets to live out their lives undisturbed. That line is there, even in this new era of criminal justice reform. Tim knows he has to reckon with his whole self. He's not just the guy who was in trouble once, but can smile wide because he has good teeth. There's still a lot roiling underneath that he has to work through. I wonder if we can ever look beneath the surface, too, without flinching, even when we don't like everything we see. ¶¶ Next time, Uncharged, Terraria is also having trouble leaving the system behind.
5: It hurts, and I just feel like I'm a target anytime I could be a target.
0: This episode of Charged was produced by Alvin Melleth and written by me. Jack Hitt is our senior editor. Mixed by Catherine Rey Mondo. Mastering and Original Music by Merritt Jacob. If you want to learn more about the issues raised in this show, I have a new book out. It's also called Charged. Check it out wherever you buy books. Additional script editing for this episode by Viralyn Williams. Additional mixing by Chow Tu. Research and fact-checking by Will Reed. Editorial direction by Josh Levine and Gabriel Roth. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts. TJ Raphael is the senior producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Special thanks to Rob Smith, Sarah Leonard, Alice Whitwham, Lisa Larson-Walker, Kate Mogulescu, Debbie Finling, and Steve Moss. Each week, Slate Plus members get an additional episode of Charged. This week, we're talking about parole with Scott Heckinger of Brooklyn Defender Services. To learn more and sign up for Slate Plus, head to slate.com/slash charged.